There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me today here on WCN-TV. I am Pastor Mike, singing for Rob Pugh today. You're going to love our guest today, Alex McFarlane. But before we we welcome Alex to the show, I want to set the stage, set the table, so to speak. Very few people would argue against the statement that America is on the brink of collapse. The question that we need to ask and answer today, you, me, us, collectively, is this. Can we save our country and what must we do to accomplish that? It is a monumental task, that's for sure, but it can be done if we trust in God and rely on his power. We've suffered greatly not just in the last decade, 20 years, this this moral decline has been going on for some time. But factors have coalesced and come together to really exponentially increase, in my view, the rapid descent into what we see today. And and I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it's chaos in, in many instances. Author, broadcaster, and educator Alex McFarlane is joining us today to discuss what can be done from his book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And and, uh, you can check out Alex at alexmcfarlane.com, alexmcfarlane.com. Thank you, producer. Uh, I've followed Alex's work for a long, long time, and that's not a comment on his age. It's a comment on my age. Um, and appreciate his work in, in apologetics. That is my own background, as many of you already know. So the assault on America, how to defend our nation before it is too late. Alex, thank you for joining us here on WCN-TV. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. It's it's an honor to be on, and I appreciate all that you do for the Lord and all that you stand for. So I truly appreciate this opportunity. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for that. Um, some would say, l- looking at the the subtitle of the book, "How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late," some people, and I know that you've probably heard this because you travel all over 
North America, internationally, in fact, uh, speaking to groups, preaching the gospel, you've no doubt heard people say, it's too late for America. That ship has sailed. There's nothing that we can do to turn this around. How do you respond to people when they make that statement, Alex? Well, Mike, we serve the God that uh, raises the dead three days after the body's been buried. Amen. So our God is able and revival can come. And, uh, you know, Mike, I was very blessed. I'm going to throw a name that you might recall, the name Bill Bright. Do you remember Bill Bright? I do. Yes. I was very privileged uh, as a young Christian. I was in Bible college at Liberty University, 1989. And I had a class on personal evangelism. And my evangelism professor was Bill Bright of Campus Crusade. And his son, Brad, later told me that... uh, that was probably the last college course that Bill Bright ever taught. And I was very privileged to be in Bill Bright's evangelism class. And Bill Bright used to say, he said, look, if every born again Christian would lead one soul to Christ in the next 12 months, and that person would lead somebody to Christ in the next 12 months, you know, the exponential impact of personal evangelism, Bill Bright said, we would run out of unsaved people in about seven years. And that illustration intrigued me. And every now and then I would share that illustration and somebody would say, yeah, but that would never happen because the whole world in seven, eight years to bring the whole world under a message, impossible. Well, you know, think about 2020. It dawned on me, Mike. All right. When, when February of 2020 began, nobody had heard the word COVID. Yeah. And by the middle of March, six weeks later, The whole world was wearing a mask. I was watching the news and there was something on about Zambia and it caught my attention because I had just been to Zambia. And even in the bush country of Zambia, they were wearing masks. And I thought, wow, when all the voices are are calling out the same message, and in the case of COVID at least, I mean, we had the government, we had the media, we had influential leaders, celebrities, education, I mean, the whole world was brought to the awareness of a message and a mandate in roughly six weeks. And I think about the saving message of Jesus. Could you imagine if the two billion plus Christians in the world? Well, think about America. Barna, the George Barna Research Group, and I've been to their offices in Ventura, California. Um, Barna says of adult Americans, there are roughly 120 adults that are truly born again. So we're talking one third of the country, 30% of Americans. Can you imagine how quickly our nation would be transformed if 30% of the American population began to talk about Jesus? If 30% of the human race began to promote the gospel? I mean, this could happen. Plus, we have the Spirit of God and we have prayer. So I honestly believe, Mike, that the Great Commission and, in fact, Revival for America, we could see it in our lifetime. We honestly could. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think one of the uh, principles that, that God operates on, I've certainly seen it in my life, I know that you have too, is that God will take those things that that uh, wicked or evil people might mean for harm, and he'll use that for good. The the plans and the intentions 
of the enemy of our soul can be turned around and, and, and used in, in wonderful ways that we can't even imagine today. So, so I would agree with you there, and COVID's a perfect example. Um, how many churches discovered in 2020 and 2021 that um, they could broadcast their services and reach many more people that they were never reaching before? Um, and, and that's just one example. In fact, we're, we're um, an illustration of that, um, Alex. When, when all of that hit in, in 2020, um, we took a firm stand and said that, that we were not going to close our doors, mm. and, but, it, but that if people uh, were, were concerned that they could stay home and join us online, because we've been broadcasting online since 2005. So wow. this was nothing new for us. Right. And, and we did see a slight decrease. People were concerned. But then after two, three weeks, they started coming back in. But what we've noticed since then, Alex, is, is that our online, I call them the online congregation, and we have people from Washington State, California, Texas, Florida, Illinois, Michigan, um, that are regular attendees at our services now online. So what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord has turned around for good. And that's a that's a good illustration of what you're talking about. Hallelujah. Yeah, God is sovereign. And and let me just say to anybody who might be watching and you know if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, um turn to the Lord and be be saved. Uh, you know um there's a there's a great ministry called Trans World Radio that's broadcasts the gospel by shortwave radio and other means around the world. And uh, I was at their headquarters and there was a big picture of a tower. And I forget, you may know actually, Mike, it's somewhere in South America, but during the Third Reich, Hitler built it. It was like very far along uh, some island, very far away from Germany. But Hitler was gonna use this to broadcast Nazi propaganda to the Western world and ultimately claim South America for Nazism. And of course, Hitler died and the, the Nazi war criminals were tried. Well, sometime, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, uh, a Christian world radio network got this tower and they're broadcasting the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire, you know, Southern hemisphere. And, uh, it was on a tower that was going to be used for evil, but now is used for good. We could give so many examples. That. But um, in 2015, after the Obergfell decision, uh, when the Supreme Court attempted to redefine marriage, and uh, I would say they, they haven't. I mean, they, they might have put ink on paper and passed a law, okay. but yeah. that doesn't negate what God designed marriage to be. But I was on a program with Geraldo Rivera, and we had done several interviews, but he said to me, he said, Alex, he said, look, I, I come up under Chuck Colson, James Dobson, Billy Graham, Phyllis Schlafly. He said, I've known all the culture warriors. Geraldo Rivera said, look, you've lost. And I'll never forget the way he said it, Mike. He, he said, it's over, brother. You, you Christians have lost. Turn out the light and go home. And I was sitting there as he, you know, kind of said that on the day that gay marriage was legalized. And I said, well, you know what, uh, Geraldo, truth has a certain tenacity to it. And I said, today, yeah, as a Christian and as a citizen, 
I'm sad that we're deviating farther and farther away from God at the moment. But I said, look, um, truth doesn't die. And God's truth is still true. So for those that are skeptics, just be patient. Because Jesus said in John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. Isn't that something? Okay. So the, the son of God, and I would, I would encourage people who might be momentarily discouraged. Look, Jesus said heaven and earth would pass away, but his word would never fail. Matthew 24, 35. So um, we, we stay strong. We stay encouraged and we live for our Lord because his truth indeed is forever. Yes. Amen. Amen, Alex. Well, let's walk readers or, or, or viewers, those who have joined us today. And, and friends, those of you who are, who are in the studio, if you have any questions at the bottom of the hour, so about 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, if you have any questions, just raise your hand and, and I'll acknowledge you and you can ask Alex uh, any question that you might have. But let's walk readers through the, the book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And I'd like to start with, with where this attack um, actually began, the strategy that the enemy of our souls has used. And it was a, it was a three-pronged attack you describe in, in the book. It was the uh, attack on the family. It was the uh, attack on morality. And it was, it was the attack on the sanctity of human life. And, and the enemy certainly knew what he was doing when he formulated this strategy. And, and I'll admit it's been very, very effective. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let me just say this. The United States of America is an absolutely unique nation yes. in terms of world history because it was a nation intentionally crafted in covenant with God. That's right. And, and what's, what's amazing, if you read about William Bradford and the Plymouth Colony and you read about the Jamestown Colony, even you know, you read about um, in my home state of North Carolina on Roanoke Island, Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, and that colony was founded in 1587. Uh, the, the founders of America reasoned this way, that um, God made covenant promises to Israel and Israel is Israel. But what if a nation proactively tried to build itself on the truths of God's word, the Judeo-Christian worldview. So let's just, before we talk about the assault on America, Mike, let's set forth the proposition that America was based on godly principle. Yes. And we quote like the, the recent sociologist, Joel, um, uh, Joel Goldberg, who is not a Christian. He's a Jew. In fact, he is a self-described Jewish agnostic. And yet he says um, in his book, The Suicide of the West, that America was based on Christian principles. If you read the 1963 Pulitzer Prize winning book by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Why We Can't Wait, which was basically his manifesto for the civil rights movement, Dr. King said America was based on Christian principles. The reason I, I said this, Mike, and the reason I belabor this point a little bit is because so many professors when I speak at universities, they'll say, you know, America was in no sense founded on Christian principles. And that, that's just right. false. Um, so it is well documented that the founders of the country intentionally tried 
to weave into our culture and civil government biblical principles. Now, that is why America has been under attack, because um, America for 240 plus years has been the great engine of evangelism and not, not only just human relief. I mean, you look at like the Red Cross and Samaritan's Purse and Compassion International. We've been at the forefront of defending life and the human condition all around the world. But specifically, America has been the great driver of evangelism worldwide, the Great Commission. And so whenever somebody says to me, even evangelicals, they'll say, well, there's America's not special. And why do you think Satan, if there even is a Satan, why would Satan attack America? Well, um, let me just give you a couple of quotes. Patrick Henry, uh, you know, give me liberty, give me death. Patrick Henry, great American. I've been to his house in Virginia, Red House, Virginia. Patrick Henry said, and this is a beautiful quote, he was giving a July 4th speech one time that lasted four hours. Wow. Uh, we won't go that long tonight. <laughs> but Patrick Henry said, why is it that next to Christmas, our most venerated holiday is July 4th? He said, is it not because the birthday of this nation is indissolubly linked to the birthday of the Savior, that the crafting of America forms a leading link in the gospel dispensation? And I would say, yes, exactly. Uh, and, you know, there was a, um, a book by a man named Arnold Guyot, G-U-I-O-T, and it was called Comparative Physical Geography. It was first produced in the late 19th century, and it was used as a public school geography book up until the early 1980s. And in Arnold Guyot's uh, Comparative Physical Geography, he says in the intro, he says, isn't it interesting that as Martin Luther in 1517 was igniting the Reformation in Europe and the gospel was rediscovered, that at the very same time, Christopher Columbus was discovering the new world. And then he goes on and he says that as Europe, 200 years later, was um, really having a, 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 a crisis of identity with the Renaissance and the French Revolution, that a new light was being birthed on the North American continent, America. And my point is this. Even a public school geography book was drawing a parallel between the birth of America and the spread of the gospel. And, and here's why America has had a target on her back. We have been that great place of biblical principles and cultural life. We have funded the Great Commission. We have been a friend to Israel. And, uh, you know, it, thanks to... Uh, Lord Balfour, Winston Churchill, Chaim Weizmann, and Harry Truman, Israel was rebirthed in 1948. So there's a lot that is at play. Many think America was just some economic experiment. Oh, my goodness. That far from it. We, I believe, we were a nation where people made a covenant with God. And as long as we've stood with the Lord, God blessed America. 
and forgive me for being so verbose, Mike, but I've got to share something. Please. Um, um, Chief Justice Earl Warren in 1954, Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, not the most evangelical guy in the world. And many would recognize the name, the Warren Commission that looked into the Kennedy assassination. But in 1954, uh, Earl Warren was being interviewed and here's what he said. Now, not some evangelical preacher, but a Supreme Court justice. And, and I quote, Chief Justice Earl Warren said, no one can read the history of this country without realizing that the good book and the spirit of the Savior have from the beginning been our guiding genius. I believe as long as we do not deviate from these things, no great harm can come to us, end of quote. Now, isn't that amazing? Here's a, a Supreme Court justice, Earl Warren, who said, you cannot read the history of our country without noticing that the good book, and that means the Bible, and the spirit of the Savior, that's the gospel. That's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7 have from the beginning been our guiding genius. And he said, as long as we do not deviate from these, no great harm can come to us. Well, we have deviated and harm has come. And in fact, I think about 9-11 and even prior to that in 93, the attack on the World Trade Center, for the first time ever, American blood was shed on American soil by an outside entity. Now, there is sanctuary and safety in cleaving to Christ, we abandon God, truth, morality at our own peril. So that I wrote this book, Mike, to try to speak truth. And as you and I are doing this program, even right now, it's being um, talked about that Roe versus Wade may be struck down. I, I'm hopeful, Mike. I believe a revival is coming. The darkness will not eclipse the light. And 120 million adult evangelical Americans, Protestant, Catholic, charismatic, non-charismatic, look, the people of God, they're linking arms, they're agreeing in prayer, and a wave of the Spirit of the Lord is coming back to the, the United States of America. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a good word, Alex. That's a good word. So that's just that's just the introduction, folks. We haven't got into the book yet. <laughs> so so I love the way that you ended chapter one. And by the way, friends, get the book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And you can visit Alex at his website, alexmcfarland.com, alexmcfarland.com. So you start out the book, um, Alex, has America reached its expiration date? So that's what kind of launched this, this uh, conversation so far and it brought us to this point. But I love the way that you ended chapter one because a lot of folks, both uh, believers and unbelievers, I, I hear this from people uh, that profess no faith in Jesus, but they're talking in, in apocalyptic terms that, that generally... I don't hear from from unbelievers. They want to know: Is it really getting close to the end of the, the end of the world? Is 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 Jesus about to come back? And 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 I hear that from people, and they they make no profession of faith. And of course, 
I'm quick to say, yes, I, I believe he is. And and what does that mean for you? If, if you don't know Christ by faith, how about today? Let me share what that means with you. But the way you, you ended chapter one was with um, 10 points, a list of 10 things that may indicate that time is running out. And the very first one, I thought this was great because this goes against everything the media says, all the statistics, but the growth of the Christian church is indicative of the return of Christ. Now, how do you mean that? Because most people, Alex, would say, well, the church isn't growing, the church is shrinking. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say like in in Britain and in much of America, we see a plateau or decline. Uh, in fact, the Barner Research Group, here's something uh, for people to pray about. The Barner Research Group estimates that they're in, in the, the lower 48, the contiguous 48 U.S. states, there's not really a county that has seen a net increase in conversion growth in 10 years. Uh, now, you know, there are people getting saved. There are people dying. That's a nutrition rate. And sadly, some people walk away from the, the profession of Christian faith. But let me say outside of the U.S., my goodness, Mike, um, about 10 years ago, I had the privilege of being at a de dedication service for um, the first African study Bible that was completely done by African scholars on the mm -hmm. African wow. continent, bound and printed in Africa, um, a study Bible, you know, like with all the notes. And it was a major scholastic accomplishment. And, and why? I mean, here's a world-class scholarship, evangelical, biblical, you know, uh, academic resource. Why? Because they're now on the African continent, there's seminaries, and there's a thriving Christian culture. You know, we talk about South America and the Philippines, and we talk about even in, in places like China, where um, I've got a friend who's a, a missiologist, and it's estimated that a million people a month are being born again in China. And some say it's probably more like a million people a week. So, Mike, I will grant the, the naysayer that in parts of Europe and much of America, there seems to be melees and deadness. But let me tell you, outside of the world, and oh my goodness, uh, in the, the Middle East, okay, uh, one of the very first countries that was thoroughly evangelized after the resurrection of Jesus, probably within about 50 to 100 years after the life of Christ, Syria. Syria was thoroughly evangelized. And goodness, right now I get reports from the Islamic world about people coming to Christ. God is doing miracles in dreams and visions. And yes, in the preaching of the gospel. And some are martyred for this. My wife recently took a mission trip to the Sudan, and uh, my wife is a nurse, and they had 300 people come and, and saved in one day in the Sudan. Wow. And so let me just say this. Um, Mike, do you, do you recall the name uh, Philip Yancey, an yeah. author, and he was editor of Christianity Today at one point. Remember Philip Yancey? Yes. So um, he wrote an article about world missions and gave a lecture. We were at a conference and people were talking about, you know, 
how, you know, even in North Africa, people are getting saved. Um, there are even reports of the church in North Korea. And, uh, but here in the USA, not so much. Philip Yancey said, let me summarize. God goes where he's wanted. Amen. And, wow. and that really kind of almost put a lump in my throat, some emotion. And I thought, God wow. goes where he's wanted. Well, let's, here in the USA, let's want God enough that we would pray and unify. And 1 John 5, 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. Let me just say to my American Christian friends watching, look, um, there are all Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, Calvary Chapel, uh, you know, whatever. Um, there are some people that sleep in the pews, some people that jump over them. Here's the deal. If you're a Jesus person, we're family. I know a lot of born again Roman Catholics, and I know I'm with a lot of spirit filled, uh, miracle working charismatics whom I love so dearly. Look, if, if we were to link arms and pray with a unified heart and a unified voice, God will show up mightily. And the church in other parts of the world, I mean, they don't have the luxury to sequester away in their own silos. Listen, I, I've done so many international mission trips. I mean, if, if you're on board with Jesus, I mean, people, they, they want to come and be with you. And we need that in America. And Mike, it just might be that the, the hard times of recent years, the militant secularism, it might just remind us what a blessing it is to be around fellow believers. And it might force us to unify, but therein lies a great opportunity for God to bless his church and show up in a big, big, big way. Amen. Amen. I I like that point that you made at Yancey quote. That's that's very powerful. In God fact, hears where he's wanted. Yes, that's that's exactly right. And uh, I know you've read um, the histories of of revivals in the past. I, I recently read a book on the 1904 Welsh revival, and and how that all came about. And that that really resonated with what you said uh, just now that um, in order for revival to break out, the ground has to be prepared. So people's hearts have to yearn for that. And, and when that is the condition on the ground, that lightning of a revival will strike. And if we come together as a, as a body, regardless of the names that we go by, if we'll come together in unity and allow the Holy Spirit to use us I, I agree with you, Alex. I think we can see a revival break out and, and thousands upon thousands, as crazy as some people think that sounds in America, thousands and thousands would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I've got to ask you this. I know your background is with Calvary Chapel. Were you around during what they call the Jesus movement of the, the 1970s? I came in just after that, Alex. Well, um, because I really do believe the Jesus movement was a great awakening. You know, we, we read about like 1748 to 1760. It was a great awakening under largely under Jonathan Edwards. But there were others in the um, colonial era like uh, George Whitfield and and the Wesleys. 
And then in the, the mid 19th century, there were several great revivals and um, in the early 20th century, but I really think in the mid 20th century in America, there was the Jesus movement. And uh, I mean, I've read so many accounts and um, here's a name I'm sure you know, probably a mutual friend of you and I both, Mike, but Josh McDowell. Mm -hmm. And Josh has told me amazing stories of people getting saved and, you know, mm -hmm. baptisms on the beach in Southern California. And yes. Yes. Uh, what, were, what were some of the characteristics that paved the way for that Great Awakening, Mike? Well, it was an openness to receive people and to welcome them to, to receive um, from the word of God. It, it, there was no judgmentalism at all. I, my favorite, one of my favorite stories about Pastor Chuck was, um, and he came out of a, a four square gospel okay. church. And, and uh, so when he, he accepted the call to this little bitty Calvary chapel, it was about 25 people. Um, it was a nice quaint church, but the Lord began moving on, on his wife Kay's heart to go to the, to the surfer folks living on the beach, to the hippies and the, and, and, and the drug addicts and we've got to reach these, these kids. And, and so that's what started the Jesus. They went to the beaches, they started sharing the gospel one-on-one -on -one, and then, then bat, and they started inviting people to church. All the, all these young people started coming and uh, the elders of the church, some of the leaders of the church said, um, Chuck, what are we going to do? We've got all these young people coming in from the beaches and they're not wearing shoes and they're, they're dragging all this sand into the church and it's ruining the carpet. Here's, here's what Chuck said, Alex. He said, I got the perfect solution. Oh, good. He said, rip out the carpet. Right. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Rip out Amen. the carpet. And, yeah. and so th that that's my favorite Chuck story. But that's the heart. That, that's having the most important thing being the most important thing. And that's seeing people come to salvation. And, and, and let's not put up obstacles to that. Let's not set up these 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 barriers that's going to let's let's bring them in. Let's share Jesus with them and see what the Lord might do. I, yeah, I, I love talking about. So I got saved in 83. Alex. Okay. Wow. So that was just at the at the tail end of that. But wow. yeah, those were glorious days, brother. Amen. Amen. Well, and, and I, I believe that really one of the great joys of being saved is to live for the Great Commission. But um about the book, The Assault on America, um, I was debating an atheist and he said that, well, you know, you're, you're a Christian because it's kind of an emotional crutch. And I said, well, um, no, I, because, you know, while it is true, knowing Jesus does fulfill the longings of the human heart. Um, look, uh, there, there's a whole lot more to being a Christian than just the seeking of emotional fulfillment or something like that. But I've said this, one of the great things about being a born again believer, is not only that, you know, your sins are forgiven, washed in the blood, you know, the spirit of God indwells you and seals you. But I said, one of the reasons that I love to know the Lord and his word is because it gives you a sense of context where we are in history. And frankly, to understand what's going on. 
uh, Mike, I don't think you can really understand history without understanding that Christ came, he rose, Pentecost happened, the gospel spread throughout the world. Eventually, um, at the end of the Middle Ages, there was the discovery of North America, the USA was birthed, um, the gospel spread, and then Israel came back into existence. Um, to your previous point, I, I do, I do believe we very, very, very likely are near the return of Christ. So I tell people, have your house in order. Number one, make sure that you are born again, not religious only, but make sure that there's been a time and a place when you said, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my savior. Make sure that you're born again. Make sure that you're living for Christ and doing all those things a Christian is to do because 1 John 2.28 in the New Testament, 1 John 2.28 says, abide in him that when he appears, we may see him with confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. And the verb abide really means continual uninterrupted action because, and we don't know the day or the hour, but Mike, I believe we are near the return of Christ. Israel is in their land. There's so much in the world, not the least of which is the wiring of the planet. I mean, we do very much live in a global police state and everything we do online leaves digital footprints. And yes. wherever we go with our mobile phones, they can track because we ping off, to, off of these towers and they can tell, you know, everywhere you go. You know, the, the weird thing is this, just for instance, um, about 2019, this was before COVID. I went to California twice in one week, just I had some speaking engagements. So I North Carolina to California and then North back. And so twice in one week, I go from the East Coast to the West Coast and back. Well, my cell phone provider calls me up. This is Mr. McFarland. We've noticed some unusual activity and we think maybe your account has been hacked because your, your IP address was on the East Coast and the West Coast twice in, in a week. And I said, no, no worries. That was me. And they said, well, you know, we just were checking. Now, to be quite honest, that kind of creeped me out. Yeah. Because, you know, I fly to the West Coast and back and they know it. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, the Bible speaks of a day when around the world, the grid is in the hands of one called the Antichrist. And nobody can buy or sell or come and go. You can't even make a move without the regime of the Antichrist. Uh, calling you on it. Hey, we're, we're there. there. There is not a yeah. chess piece yet to be added to the table before the Lord can return. So um, let's be joyful, but let's be faithful and let's stay ready because any day, maybe this day is the day that we'll see Jesus face to face. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, before we move on, is, is there anybody in our uh, studio audience that has a question at this point um, for Alex? If so, please raise your hand and, and uh, Kip, do you have a question? I don't. Nope. I was just, it's um, very interesting um, just listening to all the pieces be put together. Yeah. Um, I want to grab one of the books. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. God yep. love you. Well, 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 thank you for that comment. Absolutely. Um, 
one of the things that that we've witnessed, and perhaps folks have not put it together in this way, but in chapter two, you talk about uh, not for sale our moral compass. Now, as Christians, our morality is not for sale. We are rooted in the Word of God, and and we must stand firm on that. But what we've witnessed in America is morality being bought and sold just like a just like a stock and and that has resulted well that has resulted in uh moral depravity on steroids i'll put it that way things that i've seen alex um and i've made statements just like any other father i'm i'm the father of uh, four grown daughters but um i've made statements like this before um my daughters go to the bathroom and a gentleman tries to enter that bathroom. That's not going to happen while I'm there. And um, that's what we're facing today, though, isn't it? Well, it is. It is. You know, um, transgenderism is the ultimate form of moral relativism. I, I mean, you think about this. It's, it's one thing to say, you know, God, you can't tell me how to behave. Um, the Bible says don't lie, steal, adulterate. Uh, God can't tell me how to behave, but transgenderism says, God, you can't even tell me what I am. Hmm. Uh, God, you have no right to even label. I, you know, I was born an XY chromosome male. No, I'll define what I am. And that really militant autonomy that nobody labels me, I label myself, that's really demonic. Now, let me just say this, uh, and I do want to talk about the, uh, the economic implications of our morality. At, mm-hmm. at, what pro- at what price is our morality for sale? Mm-hmm. Um, same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. In other words, homosexual ideation and gender confusion are always the results of abuse. And to the, to the Christians and the preachers that say, well, you know, maybe it's a brand new day. Because, Mike, I, believe it or not, I mean, I get emails from pastors, from professed Christians, and they'll say, you know, Alex, come on. It's, it's a new day. And I know we had that traditional morality for years and years and years. But, you know, um, there are gays and lesbians and transgenders, and they are good people. Well, here's the thing. The Word of God, and and obviously we love people. Do we love you? Of course we love everybody. We love people unconditionally, uh, but we love people enough to tell them the truth. And hopefully uh, we love the Savior enough to obey Christ and trust Jesus rather than what basically amounts to a 40-year, well-organized, well-funded, unrelenting marketing campaign. Because I want to say to everybody, regarding gay and transgender uh, presuppositions, you've got to understand the sudden, after 6,000 years of world history, suddenly homosexuality, people say, oh, it's okay. Suddenly transgenderism, gender is fluid. Uh, Well, look, folks, you've got to understand, it's not that human nature has changed. It's not that the word of God has somehow been rescinded. It's not that any sins have been declassified. All you're witnessing is a 40-year, well-funded, well-organized marketing campaign. 
Uh, and so we Christians have got to lovingly but firmly stand our ground on this issue because homosexual attraction and gender confusion is always the result of abuse. Transgenderism and homosexual activity is a means of trying to deal with pain. I had a developmental psych course in graduate school, minored in developmental psych. We had a prof professor from UCLA and they documented what are the, they're called antecedent factors or the precipitating factors that cause gender confusion or same-sex attraction. And there are a number of them, but the top ones, things like sexual abuse at a young age, early childhood exposure to pornography, lack of bonding with the parent of the same sex. So we Christians, we're not doing our neighbor any favor, and we're certainly not being obedient to Christ when we capitulate on the moral issues of our day. Um, does God love all people? Of course. of course. But, I mean, you read 1 Corinthians 6, and um, there's a past tense verb says regarding sexual sin. As such were some of you. If you're born again, we're not still in sin. We have to turn away from it. So, Mike, I think we've got to be very clear about what God says regarding morality and sexual behavior. Yes, yes, amen. And there is there 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 are economic consequences to standing on the truth and and the word of God. You, you mentioned in your book, um, North Carolina House Bill um, Two, I think it was. Yeah, the bathroom bill. Yeah, and 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 we've seen others uh, since then where if if you take a stand for biblical godly morality and, and you pass legislation based on that standard, then uh, you will, you will not maybe, you will suffer the economic consequences in boycotts and even professional sports trying to remove themselves and their major events from your state and things of that nature. We see it all over the place. I appreciate you tying that in. It was nothing more than a 40 year marketing campaign to impose a, a worldview to, to kind of overlay the truth about sexuality with a false narrative. Yeah. Well, you know, in my home state of North Carolina, House Bill 2, HB2 basically said, if you're a male, you go in the men's bathroom. If you're a female, you go in the, the women's bathroom. Mm -hmm. Men don't go in women's bathrooms or changing rooms. And the, the, the legislation was born um, out of response to really protect, protect women and children because there have been sexual predators and voyeurs and just, I'm going to say it, perverts uh, that would go in women's bathrooms to, uh, you know, compromise the uh, privacy of women trying to use the restroom. Oh, well, my goodness, you know, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, the state capitol, and House Bill 2 was being debated. And um, a very good man named Pat McCrory was running for governor. And, um, oh, there were all these signs that says, uh, you know, vote for Roy Cooper because North Carolina is not a place of hate. Now, now you think about this. Only liberals in America would say that protecting 
children from sexual predators is hate, right? Nice. So anyway, Roy Cooper was running, professed to be a Christian. I, I know nothing about his spirituality, but Roy Cooper, he said, elect me as governor and we won't have any more silly moral legislation. That was in his campaign ads. Can you imagine that? Wow. Calling to stand for moral truth, silly. And of course, and I was asked by the Republican convention to rally North Carolina pastors. And um, of course, the majority of North Carolina pastors would not speak about the election. Now, now, Mike, let me just say this regarding the price for our truth and integrity. Um, I called well over a hundred churches in North Carolina. And I said, look, could we give out a voter's guide? We're not telling people for whom to vote, but we're just saying, here's where the different candidates stand on the issues. And it, like 93, 94 out of a hundred. And th these are churches where I've preached and they've supported our ministries, but, but well over 90 said, Oh, Alex, brother, Alex, you know, I'm for you. I'm with you, but I don't touch politics from the pulpit. And uh, as a result, Roy Cooper um, won by just a few, few thousand votes in a city of, of six. I mean, a state of six million people. Uh, Pat McCrory should have easily won. But here's my point. Um, pastors said, if I speak about politics, I'll lose my tax free status. And I said, well, actually, you will not. Since the Johnson Amendment in 1954, zero amount of American churches have ever, quote, lost their tax-free status. So that's really not a threat. That's not a legitimate threat. But even if you would, so, so in order to protect a certain IRS standing, you're going to eliminate what you will or won't preach. My point is this. Um, we need to let the world know that there are certain things not for sale, and that's our conviction. Um, we will speak the truth, financially expedient or not, we will stand for truth, and we will not let our nation be brought to a place of lawlessness, chaos, and Marxism. That's right. Amen. Amen. Harry, you have a question? Go ahead and ask. No, it's a comment on your the study that was done about sexual perversion. And I, I have no doubt that the people they interviewed, well, I have no reason to believe that they were not abused, but that's not the case today. They're teaching our first graders, our second graders. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're taking the, the right of the family, the parents away from them, and they're teaching the children. It no longer has anything to do. Now, some of it probably does have to do with abuse, but not all of it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alex, you want to respond to that? Yeah, well, sexual deviancy has become more and more not only tolerated, but affirmed and celebrated. And this is nowhere more present than in the K-12 public schools. That's why I would say to Christian parents, and, and by the way, I didn't used to say this. My mother, rest her soul, she was a public school teacher for 28 years. My sister was a high school science teacher. My sister-in-law is a teacher. I didn't use to say what I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm calling on Christian parents to get your kids out of the public school. Yes. Um, it, it, there, Amen. There, are schooling, there are private schools, 
classical education, mm -hmm. but just like, um, well, the, the schools, literacy and the schools came from out of the church back in the day. There's a very great book called Founding Zealots by a man named Dr. Thomas Hagedorn. He's out of Ohio. I would encourage people to check out this book. But honestly, the schools came from out of the church. I, I honestly think the public schools at this point are irredeemable. And I would encourage parents to um, avail yourself to the options. And there are so many options out there. But um, yeah. if yeah. you're a Christian family, uh, public schooling is is about programming ideology, not education. Get your kids out of the public school. Yep, yep. I would agree with that, um, Alex. And 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 I would also add that um, they played a they played the shell game. Uh, public education and and the quote unquote experts have played a shell game with Christians, where teaching our children kindergartners and first and second, third graders teaching our children this, that is abuse, in my opinion, teaching them about transgenderism, sexual fluidity, and the, that is abuse, but, but that's approved and has the stamp of approval. And instead, teaching them the Christian faith, according to them, is abuse. Yeah, well, just, you know, uh, Judges 5.8, speaking of ancient Israel, says when they chose new gods, there was chaos within the gates. And yes. see, we've, we've abandoned the God of our founding and we have chaos in many places. But you're right. This is just crazy. Uh, transgenderism and such. You're right. That That's abuse because yeah. it's teaching kids things that are not only counter to reality, uh, counter to God and his word. So let's, um, Alex, in the last couple of minutes that we have, let's let's give people um, some things that they can do. I, I liked what you had to say in chapter four, make your voice heard, because listen, folks, we are screaming at the darkness. If we think Washington, D.C. is listening to us, mm -hmm. we have got to become proactive where we live, where we live in our communities, with our neighbors, certainly in our churches. But but, but out and about where we live our normal everyday lives, we've got to connect with people, with like-minded people. We've got to have conversations that are going to persuade people to a Christian worldview. And, and listen, if you're going to approach that, you have to be able to give some answers. You have yeah. to be able to give reasons why the Christian theistic worldview makes the most sense has the most satisfying answers in light of all the, because there's a lot of options out there, isn't there, Alex? Well, there are. Hey, Mike, you know, I was finishing this book in the last months just before, well, really one month before the 2020 election. And I was on some radio shows and I said, hey, I'm writing a book about the assault on America. Well, uh, an unmarked envelope appears on my doorstep one day in North Carolina, my home state. And there was a note inside. This person said, look, I work for the DNC. Um, you're not going to hear this anywhere, but if Biden wins, here is what's going to happen. Now, I list in the book, and I had to talk to the publisher, and legally, we want to make sure that we could share this, but I said, look, here, I, I got this from somebody that works for the Democrat National uh, Committee, and here's what they said they're going to do if Biden is elected. 
And it was very different from Biden's platform, obviously, because they don't show their hand. But things like open borders, giving voting rights to felons. And the uncanny thing is, you know, Biden did become president. And the punch list of things that was in this unmarked envelope that came to my house is exactly what they've been doing. It's almost like we've known the script before it went public. But we can make our voice heard. Folks, pray, stay informed, live a life of truth promotion, influence others, vote. And remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As a citizen, as a Christian, make a difference because God will use you to make a difference if you're willing. That's exactly right. So friends, prepare your heart to go to the mission field. And right now that's America. <laughs> America is our mission field. So prepare your hearts, consecrate yourself before the Lord and he will use you. He will raise you up and use you. I don't believe that Alex, that the Lord is done with America yet. No. Hey, I don't know either. I think God has a future for America and, uh, you know, every one of us can be a part of that. By the way, to everybody listening, I would love to speak in your city. Um, I'll teach biblical worldview at your church. I'll go to your local college and debate the atheists in love. But um, <laughs> go to my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. And if you feel led that we do an event together somewhere, uh, just reach out to us and we'd be honored to come. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining me. It's been a, it's been a real blessing and pleasure to speak with you. Uh, did a God bless you. Thank God, you so much. Bye. God bless. God bless you. That's all we have today, friends. Here on WCN TV. Again, the website for Alex is alexmcfarland.com, and uh, you can get the book Assault on America and uh, see what's been going on. and And I hope that you appreciated and enjoyed the conversation. We'll see you next time here on WCN TV. God bless you. <laughs>